Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Matea reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Canada Land supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canada Land shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes, like a behind-the-scenes tour of the federal budget lockup, more of Boris Johnson's trip to Canada, and of course, more of us yapping about what's hot in politics right now. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. This episode of Oppo is brought to you by Endy. Since its launch in 2015, Endy has become a leading online sleep brand in Canada. The company is headquartered in Toronto and its signature product, the Endy mattress, is 100% Canadian made. Endy is changing the way Canadians sleep and their mission is simple to provide Canadians from coast to coast with the best possible sleep. Go to ND.ca and use the promo code OPPO, O-P-P-O, for $50 off any ND mattress. This episode of OPPO is also brought to you by HelloFresh, Canada's most recommended meal kit, dedicated to making home cooking fun and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh delivers pre-measured and pre-chopped ingredients with step-by-step instructions to your door in an insulated box. So when you get back home from a busy day, you get to spend more time doing what you love and less time cooking. Fall into a new dinner routine this season and enjoy the delicious victory of a home-cooked meal with HelloFresh. For 50% off your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash podcast and enter the promo code OPPO when you subscribe. From Canada land, this is OPPO. Jen, we're back! We're back! And I am so excited to be here. They tried to tell us we couldn't do it. They tried to tell us that we were fired. They tried to tell us, please don't come into the office today. We've already changed the locks, but by God, we've showed up. No one told us that. <laughs> Literally. Well, so I'm so glad we decided to take the summer off because nothing important happened. So bored. I sat out on my deck and drank into oblivion and then did nothing. It was fantastic. A real lodestar summer. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that word means. I'm not going to lie to you. Let's look it up. I haven't looked it up. Let's let's look up the word lodestar. 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 I, 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 
Definition. I've never looked it up before. A star that leads or guides, especially the North Star. Well, I guess that makes sense. No. It's kind of a lovely little... That was disappointing. It's a lovely word, actually. Well, just the same, welcome to Season 2 of Oppo, the Canadian politics podcast that tries to get to the bottom of all this nonsense and give you the insight you need to debate with your overly woke cousin on Facebook. Or argue with your Western separatist frenemy on Twitter. I love doing that. On this week's show, we're going to give you the Oppo research on NAFTA, the not-at-all-fucked trade agreement. Get ready for some anonymous sourcing. And then we'll fly through the big stories of the summer. Honey, we bought a pipeline. What an opportunity. Andy offers a 100-night trial with free returns so that you can test your mattress in the comfort of your home instead of a big box showroom floor. The return process during the 100-night trial is super simple. If you don't absolutely love it, they come and pick it up from you and give you a full refund, no questions asked. With free shipping to every Canadian province in a box the size of a hockey bag, Andy is Canada's best-selling mattress, with the highest rate of customer satisfaction and lowest rate of returns. Andy also gives customers the opportunity to touch, feel, and try the mattress Canadians are falling in love with in select showroom partner locations across the country. When mattresses are returned, which doesn't happen very often, Andy works with local charities and furniture banks to donate the new and gently used mattresses to Canadians in need. Go to andy.ca and use the promo code OPPO for $50 off any Andy mattress. Now, Justin, you've actually all been all over NAFTA and recently wrote a very helpful piece, ironically in Vice, summarizing some of the key sticking points. I'm really looking forward to what NAFTA has to say about cocaine and sex work, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> Pretty steep tariffs. <laughs> some of the things you pointed out suggested that uh, some of the outstanding sticking points are technical and probably should be resolvable, despite the fact that Trump is calling for the ruination of our country. Yeah, I mean, basically, that's right. So over the last couple of days, I was speaking with somebody in the Canadian government who has pretty good knowledge of how these talks are going. And I have to tell you, the contrast between what they told me and the tone the president is taking is, yeah, shocker, completely different. The actual conversation in the room seems to be pretty positive. There's actually a lot of progress happening um, on a lot of pretty technical things. At one point, the person I was speaking to told me, the negotiators aren't really even the ones talking. You know, Christia Freeland and the PMO staff, mostly they're sitting back and watching these senior bureaucrats who have been around for 30 years bicker and say things like, listen, Joe, I remember you making that point at the WTO conference in 1998. It didn't fly then. It's not going to fly now. And like, you know, the PMO staff and like Robert Lighthizer's office are like kicking their feet up as the president goes on a tweet storm about cars. But we should do a bit of a catch-up for anybody who, you know, poured margarita on their Wi-Fi router at the cottage this summer and has tried to completely divest themselves of the news. You know, there's been a conversation over the last year or so about NAFTA, and there's been an accusation that the prime minister hasn't taken it seriously enough and that we are where we're at because Trudeau didn't think NAFTA was a big deal. Just listen to Andrew Scheer explain this while listening to some massive attack, it sounds like. Canada is a trading nation. You know, I think it's about 80% of our economy depends on being able to sell goods and services around the world, whether to manufacturing and agriculture. We need to sell our products and provide our services around the world. And we benefit when we have access to uh, goods and services that others can provide. Uh, that's the thing about trade is that both countries benefit when you have free trade. It's been proven time and time again. When you have these kinds of free trade deals, you don't have winners and losers. You have two countries that both prosper together. Yeah, so there's a couple of things here. And, and one thing that I will highlight that really your story in, in Vice really uh, hit for me was the idea that there's a two-track presidency. I mean, we've seen this this point reiterated through a couple of pieces, through the uh, 
Bob Woodward piece that came out in the Washington Post and also through that crazy anonymous op-ed in the New York Times. There, The president says and does and tweets whatever the fuck he wants, and then his administration appears to be actively undermining him and doing the sane adult thing. And that we really shouldn't take uh, much of what he's tweeting all that seriously because there are actually senior administrators around him who are undermining the crazier parts of his own agenda and statements, which is a terrifying and a horrible precedent and potentially constitutional crisis, but should give us some comfort. Like, I think someone's actually replaced the for nuclear sure. codes in his jacket <laughs> pocket and like swap them out for fake nuclear codes. Like, I'm pretty sure the biscuit, the biscuit's missing. They put in like a speaking spell. Like he's like, <laughs> All right, nuke North Korea. And he pulls the thing and goes, the cow goes, moo. <laughs> okay, oh, <everything's> <laughs> but here's what's bothering me about this, because Andrew Scheer seems to be taking the president's word at face value. I mean, when Andrew Scheer comes out and says, the prime minister didn't, didn't take this seriously enough, the talks are going to fail, they're going to rip up NAFTA, he's taking the president at face value. And, and you know, the senior government official I spoke to obviously is a bit biased in this regard, but they basically told me that in the room there was actually skepticism early on in these NAFTA talks that Canada even wanted to make a deal. And I was then I was like, why the hell would they think that? And the source basically said, well, they read our media. Like, they've heard the criticism. They've heard people like Andrew Scheer saying Justin Trudeau is not serious about making a deal. Okay, but if the source is who I suspect it is, it has to be someone within the liberal government who has a vested interest in making the conservatives look For bad. Sure. So, like, let's, let's, let's put, put that aside. Secondly, no, 100%. That, that is important to note. But at the same time, I mean, you know, Andrew Scheer is... You know, he kind of said it maybe six, seven months ago that, you know, I'm not going to undermine the prime minister in these talks. I'm going to be supportive and I'm going to wrap myself in a Canadian flag. Uh, and honestly, I think it was incumbent for him to actually do that. These negotiations should not be, especially given the context of, the of you know, the tweeting president, um, should not be played out in the media, especially from the Canadian side. It's just going to make yeah, things Yeah, but they're worse. all playing this out in the media. Like, they're all claiming that they're not negotiating in public and they're all negotiating in public. So, like... Okay, but, but this goes back to the two-track presidency because the president is, but his actual staff who are seemingly doing a pretty good job in that room are not playing it out in the media. They are legitimately sitting there and going... Okay, how about But the we Canadians Mar are. Justin Trudeau went on a radio talk show in Edmonton and was just basically like, we're going to insist on Chapter 19 because the president doesn't follow the rules, but um, cha. I and mean, I, like. I get the impression that Christia Freeland is like a little pissed at the prime, yeah, yeah, <laughs> prime minister being like, please stop doing yeah, this. Her please statement stop. was really funny. It's like, I agree with the prime minister most of the time in public and 99% of the time in, in private. <laughs> Oh, honey. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the conservatives here have a really, really tough road to hoe here because they have to come out as being strong on this file because, of course, this is a trade file. This really should be the conservatives' lodestar. <laughs> <laughs> I like the word. Um, did you write the op-ed, Jen? Yes, I did. I was paid to write the op-ed by Mike Pence. No. <laughs> no, I wasn't at all. Uh, the conservatives have to come across as strong on trade and being strongly supportive of trade and strongly supportive of a NAFTA agreement, they can't praise the Trudeau government for handling this well, but they also can't undermine the Trudeau government too much to actually undermine the deal. Um, and they yeah. also can't come across as be as just, you know, capitulate to Trump, give Trump everything he wants, because that is not going to play well with the domestic audience either. So yeah. it's actually a really hard position to, for them to stake out. And what you kind of get is this videos like this, where it's just like, they haven't been strong enough because they didn't yeah. create 
allies early and in, in it's all kind of um vague wishy-washy and non-threatening yeah that's right and, and you know, i don't envy andrew here i don't think he's doing a particularly bad job here i think he's trying to walk that line i don't feel too angry for for once you know, but there is one thing, and, and this is this is another thing that's bugged me. You know, people like Andrew Scheer have said, you know, America went and did a deal with Mexico. Where where was Canada in this whole process? And this has actually really stuck under my skin because, first off, the deal with Mexico is pretty not great for Mexico. I mean, the new, basically, this side agreement or this agreement of principle for the you know the bilateral deal between the U.S. and Mexico sets new standards for uh, rules of origin for automotives and for minimum wage standards for automotive workers, which is great for us, by the way. And, and it's important to note that that is the thing Canada wanted. America went to Mexico and got a capitulation from Mexico that Canada was fighting for. So this whole notion that Canada was totally side, you know, sidetracked and and railroaded is so wrong. You know, America was going and negotiating on our behalf on this part. I mean, it was also in their own best interest. Yeah, right? but also keep in mind now that there's a bilateral deal, at least hypothetically on the table, Canada is now under extreme pressure to capitulate on its own files in order to get in and make it a trilateral deal. So like, that's right. It kind of is and it isn't. But look at the other side. I mean, there is also pressure on the Americans. As much as the president is talking about making a bilateral deal, that will never fly through Congress. And mm. like, it will be a bloodbath. So what's actually at the table right now? This is important. Yeah, to we need to actually break this down. Over. So this is good. So there's three big things, and it, it shouldn't surprise anyone because they've been talked about a fair bit. The first one being agriculture and obviously specifically dairy. You know, I know how you feel about that. Fuck it. You being a real lover of supply management. Die in a fire um, supply management. We don't need it. <laughs> Can it. There's chapter 19, which I'm sure people understand a little bit less. It's basically the investor state dispute settlement process. Basically, the, the provisions under which companies can sue members of NAFTA if they feel they're not holding up their end of the deal. Now, this one's tough because America has never liked it. They've been trying to get rid of chapter 19 in some way, shape, or form for quite a while because, you know, obviously they're most likely to be sued. Canada has been a big proponent of, of Chapter 19 and the other kind of provisions around ISDS, the settlement process. But at the same time, we also get sued cha under Chapter 19 all the time, and we lose occasionally. We've lost some huge judgments here. So honestly, we have a lot of room to negotiate there. We need to keep some sense of Chapter 19 in there, but we can't give it all away. And that doesn't really seem to be on the table anyway, as much as the president has talked about it. And the third is the cultural section. So media and, and the arts. And, you know, much has been made about this. It's been it's been propped up as this idea that NAFTA will make it so that American companies can come buy up CTV oh, and could Global. They? And could that would be... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so no, because here's where I need to get into my yeah. little side rant here, because Justin Trudeau came up and made a strong stance saying Americans will not buy our media. And I'm like, could someone, though? Could anyone buy our media? <laughs> that would be like... like what about we, the Swiss? What we, are the Swiss doing these days? We are no longer in a position where we should be protecting Canadian media from the predatory American buyers, because that's not what's going to happen here. If Canadian media companies don't get access to capital, they'll just continue to die, and Canadians will become more and more reliant on American media that's still producing. So like at this point, I actually think this is a bad decision. Like we we should be opening up and liberalizing our media market, not the opposite. We should be trying to get more money into Canadian media, however possible, because that's actually going to be what um, there are going to be consequences and, 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 and side effects for that. Absolutely, there will be. And we shouldn't be naive about that. But right now, what's happening is like a slow smothering pillow death from lack of capital <laughs> and keeping American capital out of our media is is not going to save shit. And we'll just make sure that we died this awful, slow, 
Ooh, coffee way. So oh God, I'm, I need to come up with better metaphors. But like, I'm picturing like so this, like like this, like this this violent sort of down pillow surrounding the head of the Canadian media market. And like, we're not dying fast; we're dying slowly. Anyway, it's very it's very visceral. Anyway. Point okay. being, this is uh, this is a cool. bad this uh, is a bad thing for us to be fighting for at this point. I, I go back and forth. It ain't, I, I go it ain't back and 1982 forth. anymore, man. <laughs> I go back and forth on this. I mean, the reality is, if you opened up the market tomorrow, it would be. I think it could go one of two ways. I mean, one is that nobody touches any of our you know television or media companies because honestly, they're not profitable by and large. And who wants to buy something that's not profitable? Um, the other side of that is that if you know. Fox or uh, NBC or whoever uh, looked into the Canadian market and said, "Oh, cool! You know, we have we can tap into this and, and kind of expand our market. We'll just go in, gut the company, and just basically run you know NBC content there." They're going to be which is what's already happening. Like, but also the the one thing that, that stops that is the Canadian content provisions. You know, a certain amount of local news and all this that would prevent that to some degree. The reality is, if we were at some point to say we're opening up the market, you know, let's have a free for all for competition, we would need. I think a couple more stop gaps to make sure that Canadian voices are not completely drowned out. And this is this this happened in every kind of European country that has, you know, kind of a liberalized media market. They tend to have better requirements or a better funded or better, more widely used state broadcaster. Yeah, I'm okay with some stop gaps and I'm okay with us continuing yeah. to fund the CBC for this reason. However, I will point out that since American companies like the Washington Post and all of these um, other entities have incre- and the New York Times have moved into the Canadian market, this has been an absolute boon for actual Canadian journalists, because it means that people like you and me can start making money in the American market. And that's what's actually happened. They've hired local people, either on a freelance or a contract or on a, a permanent basis, to go do Canadian reporting for these entities. So it, by, it, by it's, the it's numbers, a good it's thing. So, it's so minuscule compared to the overall. Yeah, but it's like. actually, it's it's a trend that's moving in the right direction as opposed to the wrong direction. So like the American companies are coming in and slowly sort of uh, trying to create jobs for Canadian journalists, real Canadian journalists. I mean, people we can name. I mean, they're doing this in a very slow and and, uh, incremental way, as opposed to every other Canadian organization, which is dramatically slashing everything. So um, I'm I'm all for liberalizing this. I'm okay with stopgaps, but I I think that some liberalization is probably. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Uh, a really important step that we need to consider as a country. One way or the other, it's academic because the Canadian government is not going to allow this. And and certainly they shouldn't. If we do agree, if we're, we do decide to open up our media market, that should be a decision we make, you know, with some thought and over a longer period of time, not in the course of a five-hour oh, that is such a Canadian Wednesday. fucking thing to say. Oh, I'm sorry. I want to reasonably Ooh, think about well, the implications of a policy this, change. Let's, let's do this over the course of five years and, you know, with an incremental blah, 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 blah. Yeah, just liberalize it. <laughs> Just, it up. We just can, do we can, things. Just Look, do the I'm thing. Jed Gerson. Let's just make just, wild let's decisions just, let's over the course it. of a five-hour negotiation. Love it. Our impressions of each other, not going to lie, not great. So 
really what, what's happening, and there's, there's a couple other issues at the table. As I understand it, there's one tiny little provision on automotive quotas, but really dairy is really what it comes down to. The president has given it the marching orders to his uh, negotiators, give me more dairy quota, and that's what they're fighting over. Now, what I was basically told by this government source is that they're not going to, you know, ruin NAFTA over dairy. At the same time, they do have kind of, you know, a basement where they can't go any lower. Uh, and really, it's a mind game in the negotiating room to make it clear to the Americans that that basement is, in fact, the basement. But, and here's the upside, it's a little bit of good news, it seems like they may actually come to an agreement maybe this week. You know, By the time this podcast comes out, maybe they've already you know reached a, a late-night deal over, I don't know, Snapchat at four in the morning. But things actually seem to be going pretty well, notwithstanding the president's, you know, crazy bombastic rhetoric. Like, he doesn't even seem to realize what's happening. You know, he sat uh, at a boardroom table in, in a cabinet uh, room just the other day, just last week, and said, oh, yeah, we're not even negotiating with Canada. So the president is not super tuned in. And, and the one thing I did ask this government source is, if you reach a deal that is, you know, good that gives up a little bit of access for dairy, maybe even hits the ultra-filter milk piece the president talks about and doesn't seem to understand. Do you think they'll take that to the president and the president's going to be okay with it, given he's demanded nothing short of a dismantling of our entire supply management system? And the source said, yeah, I think so. And it was not 100% confidence. It's still entirely possible. We'll, we'll reach an agreement of principle only to have the thing torn up again in six months. And that's scary. And here's the other thing that I think that people need to keep in mind in all this. There are two major political things that are going to happen over the next couple of months. One, of course, the, the, the midterms. If Democrats swamp Congress, then any deal that we come up with now <laughs> is, 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 is I, don't, I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, anyway, if Democrats take over Congress and the Senate, you know, any deal that we come up with could be smashed in eight, nine weeks now anyway, right? And then the second thing is that if there's a delay in Congress and that delay um, goes past, I believe, the 1st of December, well, then the new Mexican president, AMLO, is going to be coming in. And and he's got he's a pretty radical populist who could very well rip up this entire deal anyway, although I doubt that he would for a number of reasons. So, you know, it's all basically a shit show. It is all basically a shit show. Yeah, that, that's that's about right. Oppo is supported in part by HelloFresh, Canada's most recommended meal kit dedicated to making home cooking fun and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh delivers pre-measured and pre-chopped ingredients with step-by-step -step instructions to your door in an insulated box. So when you get back home from a busy day, you get to spend more time doing what you love and less time cooking. Fall into a new dinner routine this season and enjoy the delicious victory of a home-cooked meal with HelloFresh. For 50% off your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash podcasts and enter promo code OPPO, O-P-P-O, when you subscribe. All right, so let's go over what happened this summer very briefly. Summer catch, catch, catch up, thunder round. Firstly, uh, the Federal Court of Appeals has quashed the approval for the Trans Mountain expansion just in time for the Kinder Morgan shareholders to offload the project on the Government of Canada. Wee! Oh, who could have seen this coming except for like all indigenous people. Well, actually, I think that the ruling was a bit of a surprise, the fact that they quashed it outright. However, I do have some bad news for people who are anti-Trans Mountain, and that is the, the, the pipeline isn't dead. It is very, very unlikely that this federal court ruling will kill the pipeline permanently. And in fact, there's even a paragraph down near uh, paragraph 720 something, I think, that says outright that, you know, the uh, problems at the regulatory level that were found by the court could pretty easily and quickly be rectified. Not least even 
even said that she expects most of these issues to be resolved by December if the Trudeau government takes a pretty aggressive stance with fixing some of these things. Yeah, and in case in case you haven't followed this, basically the federal court determined that the application to build this pipeline didn't take into account the impacts of the tanker traffic off of the BC coast, which is one of the most massive parts of this project, and secondly, didn't adequately consult all First Nations impacted by the pipeline, which is true. Right. But the first part isn't really a serious part, because if they go back and rescope the project and give council uh, a piece of document that says, yes, this uh, pipeline will increase tanker traffic, which might lead to a boat hitting a whale, you know, it will have a potentially significant impacts on that particular orca population. But we recommend yeah, that, that we, that's but, a big deal. Yes, but we but we recommend <laughs> but we recommend that you do it anyway. You can't build a pipeline without hitting a couple whales. Well, pretty much. I mean, but but that's the nature of all of these types of projects. Like you're weighing out the uh, adverse environmental impacts, yes. which there are against the against the, the need for the pipeline and the overall uh, public good. And then you make you make that weighing decision and you come to a conclusion. So if a ruling sort of rescopes the project and sends that recommendation back to cabinet and cabinet's like, OK, we accept that we are going to kill a couple whales here with a, with a tanker that's that's done that that part of the the ruling would be met this the real issue here is the is the matter of duty to consult the ruling found that the crown did not do a, a good enough job in consulting with affected first nations groups however the ruling also said that look you can rectify this if you just do another consultation process yeah. with first nations groups and, and move on let me read you a little bit from the federal court decision because i think this is actually super fascinating yeah the federal court found that in largest part the concerns of the indigenous applicants were quite specific and focused and thus quite easy to discuss, grapple with, and respond to. Had Canada's representatives met with each of the Indigenous applicants immediately following the release of the board's report, that's the National Energy Board, and had Canada's representative executed a mandate to engage and dialogue meaningfully, Canada could well have fulfilled the duty to consult to be mandated December 19, 2016 deadline. There are some reasonable disputes with this ruling, and I think it probably will be appealed. But essentially, there's a couple of options that the government can take here. And probably the one they're going to take is they're going to just sort of redo this consultation process in a very speedy way. That will then get challenged, but that will give them the mandate to restart construction on the expansion. And to be honest with you, the government did not spend $4.5 billion of taxpayer money on this pipeline in order to let it let the expansion die. That's right. It, it simply can't happen. And this is what drives me crazy about, about the conservative rhetoric on this. The conservative rhetoric has always been, all you need to do is just go build the pipeline, get started, let's do this. And this federal court ruling is a very prime example of that the conservative approach, which is just forge ahead, is not only you know stupid, it's counterproductive. It actually gets pipelines built slower, which drives me absolutely crazy. <laughs> So Maxine Bernier uh, decided to go on a Twitter rant, ranting about uh, them multiculturals and that too much diversity. And now he's started his own vanity conservative party. We Yay. Justin, is this going anywhere? I think so. Honestly, you know, people have been poo-pooing it a little bit already. Some polling data suggests that he might be hitting 9 or 10%, especially in uh, Quebec and Alberta, which is not a bad electoral fortress if you can get it. And he's already claimed he's raised somewhere around the $100,000 mark, which is actually not bad considering our, our donation caps and considering kind of you know what he's the running conservatives on. conservatives raised $6 million last quarter. $100,000 is not going to hit you the spending cap in one riding. $100,000 over about a two-week period without any sort of organizational structure, without any fundraising, without any staff. It's actually... It's not bad. It's it's not it's not good. I'm not saying it's good. You can but raise $100,000 from social media for if you have a reasonable social media following and you're a relatively public figure pretty easily. I think it's not I agree and with you. It's, it's not nothing. 
It's certainly indicative of the fact that he's got a lot of sort of grassroots social media support. What he does not have is, by all accounts, the, the work ethic or the understanding to start a new party. What he doesn't have is a following of actual conservative MPs. He doesn't have any backing from major or influential conservative figures. And the truth is, you know, populism tends to die in the vine pretty quickly in Canada because at the federal level, for very interesting structural reasons, a lot of them have to do with the overwhelming power that parties still hold over politics. And the support that he may be polling in Alberta, you know, Alberta has just was on the front lines of the federal civil war in conservative politics. And the entire province has also just come out of a separation of the conservative parties that led to the election of the NDP, according to conservative mythology here. Um, They've just unified under the auspices of the United Conservative Party and Jason Kenney. This is not a province that is going to go headlong into another civil war between between the conservative parties this is not this like if it were 20 years from now and a lot of those memories had faded maybe but the the memory on of what of what a divided conservative vote actually means is just way too fresh here and i i just think that you're going to find that a lot of the big bundlers the big donors are going to abandon maxime bernier in force now yeah because they're just going to write this off as a vanity project and that's it i think you're thinking about this the wrong way maxime bernier is not running to pick up mega donors or running to pick up you know even con- sitting conservative MPs, he's running to tap into what populists around the world are tapping into. Disenchanted voters, non-voters, and people frustrated with the party system. Agreed, yes. The polling data we have thus far actually shows that Maxime Bernier is, yes, taking from the conservative party, but he's also taking from the NDP, the liberals, and the Bloc Quebec. Yeah, but here's... But here's he, he's here's not running f- to be prime minister. He's running you to can, pick you up can, 20 But seats. you can tap into that populism, that sense of populism on social media, and, and parlay that into like a speaking gig and a global alt-right tour gig. To actually turn that into real electoral power in Canada requires organization, money, and work. That's how the sausage gets made in this country. And that's what we, like, like that, no, no, that's what, no, that's because this is where I, I get pissed off. This is where Canadian journalists, I think, get it really wrong. We think that what we see on Twitter and what happens in media is politics. That's like, honestly, that is that is surface level shit. That is that is the tip of the iceberg. What happens in politics is really fucking boring. It's the guy who knows how to door knock in in, in his writing, who goes to 10,000 homes in his writing and has meaningful conversations and, and logs the database of his supporters. It's the guy who can actually bring, you know, 100. Like, what's more interesting to me than the money is can he bring volunteers in? Can he actually generate 1,000 volunteers across the country just to help build his, his support I, as opposed I, to 1,000 so. Twitter followers? Like, that's yeah. the stuff that's actually meaningful. And that would be the indication of, of a movement that would generate real electoral power. But... I don't see that. I see a guy who's sitting at a lake tweeting shit. That's it. Uh, okay, well, that's where you're wrong because Maxime Bernier does have staff. He has a couple of advisors who are smarter than he is and work harder than he does. Yeah, anybody and can get anybody can get a couple of staff. That's not what I'm talking about. He needs show me show me this is a guy who can generate a thousand volunteers. Show Listen, me like unpaid. You, that that's what I'm as saying. You, as soon as you start pulling double digits. That all comes. I promise you it will come. And we're going to be talking about Maxine Bernier for the next year. I will eat your hat if I'm wrong. I honestly think that Canadian media has this idea that politics is like a field of dreams. Talk about it and they will come. And I think that we don't see how the sausage gets made. And we don't actually talk about how the sausage gets made enough to understand what's happening beneath the surface. I don't see. exactly like field of dreams. I agree. I don't... E- on every level. I actually just don't see anything below the water here. And finally this week, Jugmeet Singh. Where is he? I don't know. Oh. 
Okay, for real, I, I I do have one I do have one little story that I will impart before before we leave for the next two weeks. All right. And I was working for uh, on a story for McLean's about the current status of the sex work laws in Canada. Obviously, the previous government brought in new criminal prohibitions on paying for sex as well as a handful of other things, including advertising sexual services. This bill was criticized by the Liberal Party then and by the NDP then as being unconstitutional and having a whole bunch of charter issues with it. This is the Bedford stuff, yeah? Yeah. Well, so this is post-Bedford. So oh, got it. Bedford struck down our old laws. Bill C-36 brought in these new laws. And now there's a current legal challenge going on that will take a couple of years. But suffice it to say, the Liberal Party had talked about consulting people and, and potentially fixing the law. And now it seems like they're not doing that. So while working on this piece, I decided I was going to reach out to Jugmeet Singh's office and just say, hey, listen, I know you guys have been a little quiet on this issue in the past. They've not really supported any particular sort of law reform. They've not been in favor necessarily of decriminalization, at least not the party leadership. So I said, listen, we got a new leader now, you know, new boss in town. How about you give me a call if you have anything to say? I'll leave it open to you. I'm curious to see where the NDP stands now because I don't know what your position is. I'll leave that with you. Give me a call. Have Jugmeet give me a call. Have your justice critic give me a call. I'm good with whatever you have. A week goes by, two weeks go by, nothing. The NDP does not seem to care about getting free media Fuck on policy your free issues. publicity, Justin Ling. <laughs> I wouldn't call it publicity. <laughs> cor- corporate capitalist running dog. We don't, we don't need your free publicity in McLean's about sex work. That's, what are you, you're too, well, you we're go. too good for you. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to make up for this and I'm going to say uh, we're looking for an interview subject, hopefully for next week's episode. If Jagmeet Singh would like to come on our show, we can we can help get him back on the ball, man. We can help. We can help you, Mr. Singh. Yeah, it'll be free publicity. We'll, we will literally, be literally very appear, kind. Appear anywhere. <sighs> appear somewhere. Oh, we're open in the door. Here you go. That's it for us this week. This episode was produced by David Crosby for Candleland Media. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton, and the music was by Nathan Burley. I have the last word this week, and that word is ruination. Not Lodestar? No. Gotta keep them on their toes. And we leave you now with the dulcet tones of Jared Kushner getting locked out of the U.S. Trade Representative's office in Washington, D.C. Hey, Jared, any idea who wrote the op-ed? Are you concerned about it? Is there a deal tonight on How are things going on NAFTA with Canada? Is it okay? Actually, how is it going with Canada? Progress tonight? Cracking the champagne, maybe? Canadian champagne? Any words on the mood of the room? As for the op-ed, how concerned are you about that? That somebody crossway your staff may have written it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 